Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. When we talk about ownership of, of different businesses, um, frequently uh, different industries come with unique requirements uh, or restrictions, uh, somewhat uh, maybe barriers to entry or at least you know regulated entry. Uh, let's take a bar or restaurant or store that sells liquor. They obviously have requirements that must be met to secure a, a liquor license. Um, you know, operating a taxi cab comes with scrutiny before a medallion is released. And, and we've heard in the past, and, and we'll learn uh, about in greater detail today, uh, some aspects of the home health care operations and, and how uh, they may be controlled in some regard to ownership. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Jim Mitchell, back with you for yet another edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. And if, if I mention uh, home health care or health law, um, that usually means I'll have the pleasure of, of welcoming Attorney Ted McGinn to the discussion, and that's exactly what we've got planned for today. Ted, uh, of course, is a partner at Laval Law, oversees the Health Law Practice Group, and always welcome his input. Um, Ted, how are you today? You doing well? Thanks, Jim, for having me. Yeah, doing very well. And, you know, home health care is always a very exciting and interesting uh industry and always presents a lot of legal issues and legal challenges that a lot of our clients have to deal with, but I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting. You, you've been focusing on that industry for a, for a number of years, um, and, and I'm guessing that um, many of these businesses start out small, maybe individual owners, but you know, like a lot of other industries, those those smaller ones merge or bigger guys buy up the smaller guys. Do you, do you see a lot of transactions in in, in that industry right now? Yeah, there is a lot of transactions. I mean, it's um, I, I, a lot of it stems from a number of pressures and, and, and you know, factors that enter in the picture. I mean, in particular, right now, there's a lot of um, you know the Affordable Care Act and Barack Obama when he came president, he made a very uh, you know big part of his mm-hmm. his, uh, his you know his his uh, his position is to deal with Medicare fraud, and and you know that initiative brought the FBI and the Department of Justice in, which creates a lot of pressures in the industry. So as a result, you have individuals looking to maybe divest their interest in home health care companies. At the same time, you have parties who believe that there could be potential bargains out there and acquiring you know, home health care companies where sellers are trying to get out. And you know, as I said, they they sense the uh, opportunity to dive in, and so as a result, you see a lot of activity uh, buying and selling businesses in that industry right now. And and just real quickly, I mean, uh, there are certain requirements or restrictions as to who can own these businesses. Is that right? Yeah, there is. I mean, I guess it's important concept to understand. To create a home health care company, there's are there's like two major steps you have to take. Uh, or maybe three, I guess. Uh, the first step is obtaining your license in the state of Illinois. That is done by applying with the Illinois Department of Public Health. And then once you obtain your license, many of the agencies uh, want to move on and obtain a provider number, which allows them to submit claims to the Medicare program and receive reimbursement for those uh, health care visits. That step 
you know, is a very uh, exhaustive process. A lot of times it entails becoming accredited by third-party groups out there or just going through the IDPH process. But it does take a great deal of time to go through that that two-step process, sometimes a year, maybe two years, to get to that stage. Okay. So you, you mentioned you know some changes, obviously, under uh, President Obama over the last five, six years and uh, the Affordable Health Care Act. Um, talk to me about a little bit about something else that uh, we've heard about, which is a 36-month rule. What, what is that? Well, to... Exactly what it is, a 36-month rule prohibits the transfer of a majority interest in a Medicare home health provider within 36 months of the issuance of its provider number or the last majority transfer. That's the rule in a nutshell. So any time any party is going to be acquiring a home health care company, they have to consider this rule in the context of the entire transaction. And... The, the purpose behind it, because it, it's interesting, we talked about other industries, and so many industries see these venture capital firms or, or other equity firms come in, buy a business, and, and flip it within a year to, to you know, strip some things off and get some profits. Sounds like that's not going to happen here. What, why, why have this 36-month rule? That's a good question. I mean, uh, as I said before, there's a great deal of time it takes for a party to start a home health care company. This one-year to two-year process going through from the licensure on through the certification of getting a provider number, going through third-party accreditation, that takes a long time. That takes a long time to go through that entire process. Uh, that is what economists call barrier of entry into the marketplace, uh, so this great deal of time it takes that creates you know for anybody that goes through that process that creates some value for that company once you get through once you get your provider number and before the thirty six month rule was in existence this value that this this process you know once a company was set up obtained its provider number uh they 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 were sitting on a company even though it may not have very many patients at all maybe not a whole lot of assets. But you had some value there. That intangible asset of obtaining the provider number was worth something. So as a result, kind of a whole cottage industry arose where parties would simply uh, create home health care companies, go through the whole process with the sole intention of simply flipping that over once they obtain a provider number uh, for a uh, fairly nice profit. I mean, sometimes these things were going for, you know, three, four dollars $400,000 and it was just a shell corporation with merely a provider number. So Medicare, they had a problem with that, obviously, because at the end of the day, the people that were running these home health care companies in many instances were not the people who went through the whole certification process. As you mentioned earlier, Jim, uh, there's a lot of requirements to, to obtain your provider number. And, and so when people were just flipping these companies, and you had these uh, parties who didn't go through the process. Nevertheless, they had a home health care company, had a provider number, and they were running these companies. So what Medicare did, they created this 36-month rule in order to try to prevent this from happening, to try to put out this whole cottage industry of flipping home health care companies. Now, if someone has built a, a solid company, they've, they've been in the industry for a while and um, – you know, have have a, a good thriving business, uh, and they decide perhaps for whatever reason they they do want to get out. You know, when when can a seller transfer that ownership, and and how do they go about it outside of the 36 rule, or or even inside if there's exceptions? 
Well, I, clearly, you look at the number of months that have elapsed since they obtained their provider number. I mean, if if you had a company that's been ex- in existence for a number of years, you know, three years or more, then the 36-month rule doesn't really come into play. You know, you can simply transfer that home health care company without really being worried about the 36-month rule. And by the way, I should mention that if, you know, the question is what happens if you violate this rule? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the way the rule reads, if and, and this is important to understand too, some people don't quite understand that the, the rule doesn't prohibit the transfer of stock within 36 months. It doesn't prohibit that. It just provides that if you transfer the majority uh, of the shares within the 36 month window, there, then the purchaser has to go through the certification process and get a get their own provider number. The old provider number is terminated. Many people think the rule just prohibits the transfer. It doesn't really prohibit the transfer. The, the, the transfer will go through, but then the buyer has to obtain their own provider number. Okay. Okay. Um, and so you were about to mention there if there's a violation, what, what would happen in that case? Well, like I said, if there's a violation, the uh, the, the purchaser would have to obtain their own provider number. Now, I, I've, uh, you know, situations where it has happened many times, Medicare, instead of going through the extreme of terminating the provider number, they're almost kind of like, uh, you sure you want to do this? You know, you got to understand the 36-month rule, and therefore they won't process the change of information, which is normally filed after, and kind of give the parties a chance to kind of rethink it. But if you just read the the, the black and white letter of the law, it just says the provider number, uh, the old number is terminated, and the, and the purchaser has to obtain their own provider number. Um, we're flying through the conversation here today, and, and I'm talking to Ted McGann, a partner at Lavelle Law, always a, a great contributor here in the, on the podcast. Um, and just a, a quick note that uh, congratulations to Ted and, and the other partners and all 22 attorneys at Lavelle Law for their recent recognition for their pro bono work by the National Legal Aid and Defender Association, one of 13 law firms across the country to receive the Beacon of Justice Award. So that's that's great news for the firm. Now, as we, we try and get a little more out of Ted's time here today, um, I think I heard you say just a minute ago, I heard you use the, the word majority, you know, trying to sell your majority interest. What about cases where an individual owner either wants to raise capital or, or there's a group of owners and, and one of them who's a minority partner wants to sell? Does this apply to minority stakes? Uh, no, it does not. I mean, the rules provide you can't transfer a majority ownership within the 36 months. So if you're uh, you know transferring you know anything less than 50 percent, then the rule would never be implicated there. So uh, if there's kind of an internal sort of redemption, you may want to redeem maybe a minority ownership that that would not have any uh, you know 36 month rule implication. Now. Um, you know, a lot of times what happens and, and um, you know, kind of an, an internal closely held business, there could be some transactions that may have four or five different owners and maybe over the course of time, uh, you know, one minority owner is, is redeemed here and then later on another one is redeemed. And then collectively over the course of a su- you know, successive redemptions, you trigger that 36, you know, that majority mm-hmm. transfer. So you have to kind of look at all the collective transfers over the course of the 36 months to see if there is an issue there. Okay. And a- any other exceptions to the rule? There always seems to be some, but um, other yeah. ones we've discussed so far? There's a couple of ex- I mean, obviously one exception is death, but I don't really advise my clients to take advantage of that exception. Uh, <laughs> but, the, but the other exception that comes up quite a bit is the filing of two consecutive full utilization cost reports. 
in that instance, then uh, then the 36-month rule period, you know, it, it, it you know at that point you can you can go ahead and transfer the majority even though it's within the 36 months. So those are two different exceptions that come into play. And, and the concept behind that exception is if you're filing two full utilization cost reports and in that situation, the company really wasn't set up to, to just be flipped later on. You got a company that was set up, it, it, it's legitimately operated for a couple of years. So, so in that instance, Medicare deems that to be uh, outside of the whole problem that, that gave rise to the rule in the first place. And anything regarding security interests that come into play? Yeah, that's an important issue to to to, to understand because a lot of times when you do these transactions, let's say you, you're outside of the 36 months, and so you may sell 100% of the stock. Again, a non-issue there because you're outside of the 36 months, but what happens a lot of times there's seller financing where the seller will maybe they'll receive you know a, a good chunk of the money up front, but the rest is financed through a promissory note, and a lot of times the seller will take a security interest in the shares that they've sold. You know, the, the, the buyer will pledge the stock back to the seller as collateral, and the, 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 the concern here is if the buyer defaults, well, then the seller would think naturally, okay, well, I'll take my stock back. Well, the problem is uh, you started a brand-new 36-month window when you sold your shares in the first place, so you can't just simply, you know, take the stock back because you're now transferring 100% ownership back to the initial sellers, but you're doing that within the 36 months of the sale uh, to the buyer. So that's something that needs to be factored. But one way to avoid that is to um, sell the shares not to the individuals personally, but to some holding company and and have the shares of the holding company pledge as collateral. But that raises a number of other issues as well that complicates the deal a little bit, uh, which is probably beyond the scope of today's discussion. But 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 that is a security interest is definitely an issue that needs to be looked at by buyers and sellers in these transactions. Well, I think we've uh, been able to, to kind of whet your appetite here a little bit on a fairly complex but uh, very informative, uh, very informational type topic. And so, as always, my thanks to uh, Ted McGinn for being here to share with us. If you want to reach Ted, you can uh, do so at area code 847-705-7555. And LavelleLaw.com is the place to stop by and pick up uh, other information, including videos and all of our past podcasts. Again, if you got time, LavelleLaw.com. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> Smell the difference? 
When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. 